Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with former teammate and baseball Hall of Famer Lee Smith. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with an old buddy and a teammate. He's a seven-time All-Star. Three times he took home the Rolaids Relief Man Award, and in 2019, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Smith. Lee, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, man. I got some weird and some strange memories hanging out with you with the Cincinnati Reds, boy. (laughs) It's been a long time. It doesn't seem like we missed a beat. Uh, we, uh, for those of you listening to the Boone Boone podcast, Lee and uh, Lee and myself were were part time team. We were teammates for a couple months in nineteen. I believe yeah. it was ninety six in Cincinnati, yeah. where I used to uh-huh. used to come in and, and wake Lee up when he was on the training table because he was taking a nap before the end of the game. Yeah, he did. I do me. remember those. Uh, I got yes, a question man. for you. I got a question for oh, you as a young kid, okay. and we'll get we'll get we'll get to your childhood. But okay. give me a li- your interpretation of the difference between because early in your career you did this, you were a starting pitcher. Difference between starting and closing. Well, uh, my general manager at the time was Mister Dallas Green, and he said I was only going two innings, so I might as well go to the last two. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I just, I tell you the weirdest thing for me, I always would be thinking about the three, four, five hitter and you would screw up and walk the first couple of guys. So once I went into the bullpen, I would start taking like one hitter at a time. And, and to really, you, you just think about as a starter, everybody think, Hey, I want to get through the fifth inning and you don't get through the third and fourth inning. You're thinking too far ahead, especially as a young guy. And we didn't have all the information that you guys have now. They do the hitters and their, you know, the things that they do and, 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 and anticipating what's going to be looking for in the fifth, sixth inning. They got all this information now, which some of it I think is a little too much. But for me, it was just really concentrating on uh, a hitter to an inning at a time. Isn't it amazing, too, when you talk about the three, four, five hitter? Because in, in our, my generation and your generation, we kind of overlapped. Uh, it was always three, four, five. And now with these yeah. lineups today, Lee, I'm sure you're watching. You're going now. The toughest hitters are probably hitting one, two, three. You know, it, yeah. it, it's yeah. reverted you're back right. to our li- our little league days. Yeah, those guys were like, you know, guys to get on base. You know, be you know table setters and stuff like that. And and uh, yeah. um, so you would think about that. Like I said, that three, four, five, and possibly a six. But those those guys are really obsolete now because nobody run. They don't you don't see the hit and run too much now. They got the shift. I, it, it's crazy now, man, but uh, I think it's getting away from that fundamental sound baseball. And it, it don't start just in the professional or the big leagues. It actually starts when the, when the kids start playing travel ball. Yeah, and there's a lot of travel ball today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Born and raised in Louisiana. Uh, tell me about a young Lee Smith. You as a kid, I was I was getting ready for this show, and, and I uh, – you know, I found out some pretty interesting things. You didn't you didn't pitch to your junior year in high school. I know you were a, I knew you were a hoopster. But tell me tell me about yep. a young Lee Smith, and tell me tell me about your family. Well, you know what, man, I had um, I had athletes in my family. My older brother uh, pitched a little bit, but he he got hung up in that era, where right before they integrated the schools, and you know, and he, we couldn't afford to. They traveled from where one school to where we lived, and he wouldn't be able to get to practices and games and things like that. And when they integrated schools, I was actually got an opportunity to go to the school in Castor, which was about three miles away from my home. And for my brother, it would have been a one-way, probably 18 miles. And he didn't get a chance. But the weird thing about it, my brother came to Castor, which one year I had no idea of thinking about playing baseball. And someone said, hey, man, your brother – played baseball here for one year. He was a really good pitcher. And uh, you ever thought about playing baseball? They started this after me like, when I was like a freshman. I'm like, nah, man, I, I'm good. I just work on my basketball game because I thought that was going to be my way to, to get my education in, in college, you know, pay for college. And 
I didn't realize that baseball would, you know, be the one thing that, hey, you can play baseball and get scholarship, pay for education, because my family couldn't afford it. It's, it's pretty My lifelong dream, uh-huh. yeah, but like, excuse me, my lifelong dream was to be a high school basketball coach. And, you know, country boy, I end up in the Hall of Fame. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. So when you start pitching your junior year, you just said, all right, well, I guess, I guess I'll give this a try. Next thing you know, a year later, you're, you're the second round pick. You were, and at that time, 28th pick overall for the Cubs. But what made you finally, because I know you're playing basketball and that was your love. What made, what finally made you say, you know what, I'm going to go out for the baseball team and I'm going to be a pitcher. Why not a hitter? Well, you know what, man? I actually, it took me a while before I actually got that hoop ball out of my system, man. I was actually in double A for the Chicago Cubs before I really, someone saw something in me that I didn't see. Another Hall of Famer uh, by the name of Mr. Billy Williams. Uh, uh, I actually, the Cubs made me a relief pitcher in my double A year. And I actually quit playing baseball. I went back home and played college basketball. And Billy Williams came to my house, and uh, we're live now, so I can't exactly say what he said to me. But in so many words, he said, boy, you ain't done nothing. And I'm like, really? I thought I was headed to the big leagues. I'm 10-4 and four here in double A. I thought I was headed to the big leagues. And I thought that was going to be that stepping stone. And then the Cubs gave me that slap in the face. Hey, man, we want to put you in the bullpen. And that was like, hey, back in the day, man, if you wasn't good yeah. enough to make the starting rotation, they throw your ass in the bullpen and you didn't pitch until the starter got beat up, you know, and – it took something away from me, and I actually went home for a little bit, and the Cubs come back and said, hey, we want you to come to spring training. Yeah, and I did, and had this relief picture, and six weeks later, I'm in the big leagues, man. But they still had Bruce Suter, Dennis Eckersley, Jay Howell, Willard Hernandez, guys who actually went on to win, all, uh, went on to, you know, to uh, win the uh, um, Raleigh's Relief Awards. And a couple of them won Cy Young's. Yeah, isn't it amazing? And you talk about – because your double A year, you, you were in double A in 1978 and 79. I had Raleigh Fingers uh, on the show recently, a couple months ago, and he said the same thing as you you just said. He said, Brett, when I was coming up and they put me in the pen, it was almost like a demotion. Like it's not yeah. the pen that we know we know today where, you know, in 2022, Lee, even since you've retired, man, how much it's changed. I mean, you you yeah. kind of your generation and, and what you did as a closer kind of define that closer role. But it's nowadays, man, you've got you've got that sixth inning covered the seventh inning. You got specialists lefty righty yeah. in the eighth and the ninth. So they've taken it to another level. But but it's really yeah. interesting for the people listening out there that back when you were coming up through the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you went into the pen, that was considered kind of a demotion. Little did you know, yeah. it's probably the best thing that ever happened to you. And, and, yeah. you know, fast forward 30 years and, and you're a hall of famer because of that move yeah. to the bullpen. But, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. So, all right. So 70, 78, 79, I knew Billy Williams. I had him circled here. You got, mm-hmm. you got to him before I did, but I'm glad you did. Uh, 1980, your triple A and, and you start closing out games in, in 80. And then interesting. You mentioned Bruce Suter and um, mm-hmm. you know, to this day when, when me and dad, you know, get together and, and we start talking, we start talking closers and I'll throw a Lee Smith or a Trevor Hoffman, Mariano Eckersley, you know, Eckersley early in my career, that was the first closer I faced. And and that's when I knew mm-hmm. I went back to the bench. I said, this ain't triple a anymore. <laughs> I, I, I do remember <laughs> yeah. that, but I'll tell you, my dad always brings up and I never got a chance. You know, I, it was before my time. I never got, to face a Bruce Suter. I always heard about him, kind of the the original split finger fastball guy. But in that in that rotation when you got up there, there was there was Bruce Suter, uh, Russell, Kruko. When you got yeah. to the big leagues, you came did, a little bit. Yeah, man. Did did uh, did somebody take you Lee Smith under their wing when you first got to the big leagues? Uh, I really got to tell you, it was my buddy Fergie Jenkins, man. I, I, I was like stuck to him like glue, man. I wanted to be, I wanted to room with him, but he was, he was trying to get away from it because he got tired of talking about pitching. You know? So <laughs> Fergie Jenkins was one of the guys that I really picked his brain, and he started talking to me about reading the bats. I'm like, man, what is reading the bats? You know, it's like, you know, if you throw a guy a fastball and he hits over, you know, over the dugout, 
So uh, you jam him. Why would you throw him a breaking ball to speed up his bat? So you're reading that speed of bat, you know? And I'm like, really? I never thought about that. But that's what one of the things that I really started looking at, you know, when you would look at those things. You see a guy, man, you know, throw a fastball by a guy, and then he break off a slider and he hits a bullet off the wall. And you were like, why did he do that? You know, what was his thought process, you know? But it was on the job training back then. Now they got, like I said, they got video from guys – playing travel ball, you know, and they're they in the big leagues now. So it's so much information out there now. But Fergie Jenkins was definitely the guy that I look at because I didn't, at that time we had all these great closers. I'm like, man, I might need to work on trying to get back in the rotation, you know. But when they started getting rid of the guys, you know, Bruce went to St. Louis and Willie Hernandez went on to Detroit and Jay Howell went to Oakland. And so I actually got an opportunity to close your skipper, I believe, in those early years at the Cubs was Lee Elia, later to become my yep. hitting instructor. And I, I remember yep. Uncle Lee, and I, and I used to laugh. And it, a real wise man when it came to hitting. He's one of the, yep. the few guys in my career that could really help me. I got a question for you. As a closer, and in your heyday as one of the elite closers in the game, did you ever read the body language of a hitter? I'll give you an example. Somebody comes up as known as a, a as an aggressive hitter. You throw a first pitch fastball down the middle, and he takes it with the bases loaded. Did you ever think to yourself, "Wait a minute, what's he doing taking that pitch? He's got to be sitting on well, something know, else." Did you ever read body language like that? You know, the the one guy that really just just sticks out to me, but he was tricky, man. He set you up. <laughs> the guy by Hall of Fame got arrested by Mister Kirby Puckett. And I tell you what, Kirby, he would like, you know, you would throw a fastball right down the middle, and then the next pitch, he would swing at a slider, like got grass stain on it. And I'm like, uh, what do I do now? <laughs> what do I do now? This guy here can hit. And, and he's always complaining that he never got hit when he's hitting 360. You know, that was the one guy there that really just puzzled me of what my next pitch, what my next move. You could get him 0-2, but you couldn't get him out. Him, guys like Andre Dawson, you know, they hit your waist pitch. Things like that. But um, of, of all the guys that really just gave me a hard time from when I first got to the big leagues, he wasn't a really good player, man, but he, he, he hit me pretty good for some reason. You ever heard of a third baseman named Mike Schmidt from the Phillies? Yeah, he was, man, he was, he, you're right. He, you're right. He, he, he wasn't a very he good player. Was, I remember him. Oh, man. He, <laughs> oh, boy. He was, he was unbelievable. This, he was the one first guy that you I, I can remember through my career that had you could get him out front, and and he'd had enough, you know, like you know, speed, bat speed, and strength to hit the ball out the other way. You didn't find very many guys when I came up could hit the ball home run uh, out the opposite way, you know, out on the front foot. Him, Dawson, guys like that. But those guys like that were, were tough. But Kirby was one guy. I just I couldn't. I just felt uncomfortable every time I faced him. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan, thanks, Boone. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code BOON. B-O-O-N-E, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code Boone at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. 
467-369. And now back to my interview with Lee Smith, 1980. Uh, you had a 2981, you had a 3-5, uh, t- Tell me about 82, because all of a sudden, you're, you're, you kind of change roles. You go from a starting pitcher, which we talked about at the top of the, uh, of the broadcast. Now you're a reliever. Now you're in the pen. Now you're closing. I think in 1982, you started five games. Is that accurate? Uh, it was really weird, man. We, uh, I, I want to say this with my boy, uh, Lee Ely might have gotten fired. And we had an interim and by Mr. Joey Amalfitano. And they were still looking at getting starting pitchers. You know, and they they were looking for somebody to start. I guess they were thinking about trades and next year. And they had some – we had – every year I pitched, I think they had a guy could close in the bullpen somewhere in, in the Mount Lake system. So, uh, they were thinking about a big, strong guy to throw the those hard, put them back in the rotation. And I actually had a few starts there that I actually did pretty good, I thought. But then the next year, uh, they go out and uh, do this Philly thing. We end up with Doug Bird and Chuck Rainey's and all these guys. So, they'll go back to the bullpen. But I, I got to tell your, you, the guy – Go ahead. The guy go that ahead. really, really gave me that opportunity – to close was Lee Elia. Lee Elia was the uh, the one guy that told the Cubs, "Hey, I want this guy to be my closer." And he actually, but middle to middle to the end of the season, put me as a closer. And then he ended up the next year had that little situation where you know Lee, he and the, you know the little tirade that he got uh, famous for. Oh yeah, <laughs> you oh, know? yeah. Yeah, but uh, uh, it was justified. But <laughs> I'm gonna leave that alone. But uh, he was trying to protect the players, and that was all it was about. Oh, Lee, I'm telling you, to this day, uh, I, I grew up, you know, when Dad was in Philly, you know, I was just a little kid tagging along going to the ballpark. Lee Ilya was one of the Phillies coaches. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I remember him as – I remember Lee as a little kid. And then all of a sudden, you know, and then he kind of became uh, Pinella, one of Pinella's buddies that, that wherever Lou went, Lee would go. So I come yep. back to Seattle in 2001, and Lee was, you know, he was kind of on the brink of retiring and didn't want to do it. But Lou asked him, hey, we at least part-time uh, come back and, and be a, an assistant hitting coach. And that's where I kind of got uh, reacquainted with Lee, the Lee Ilya I know. And, man, I, yeah. he, was the one, he was the one guy – that that could come up to me and it was amazing i'd be sitting on the bench and you know i'm just in one of those funks where <clears throat> my last four or five at bats i just got no clue i'm not picking up the spin whatever it may be and i'm just kind of sitting on the bench and yeah. lee would walk up to me and he'd say uh hey booney how you feeling and i look at him i'd say lee how the hell do you think i'm feeling i said you've been watching me up there <laughs> he goes yeah he goes yeah i have has it been pretty he goes let me t- tell you this remember about three weeks ago when we were in Texas and you did that thing with your top hand where it felt really good. And I looked at him and I'd say, yeah, I do remember that Lee. And he tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, why don't you try that? And he just walk away. And it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It was the most amazing thing. The simplest thing he could say all of a sudden. And and I think we need more of that in the game today. The mental side Mm -hmm. to, to pitching, to hitting is so important. Mm -hmm. And I just went from hopeless, no chance. I'm I'm completely confused to, he just pried something in my, in my brain that said, oh yeah, it's going to work. Next thing you know, I have hope. That doesn't mean I'm going to go up the next at bat and hit hit a home run. But I'll tell you yeah. what, I got a better attitude about going up. Not mm-hmm. that I'm terrible and I'm not yeah. seeing the spin. And and that's why I like well, Lee was, so was much. To be he, he he was he was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Hey, I, I tell you what, him and Cookie Rojas was over there with with me, and I, I think the one of the biggest compliments I ever got from those guys was. They were having a hitters meeting, and I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna go in there and see how these see what makes the hitters tick." And they were so amazed to see their closers sitting in there listening to them talking about hitting. They're like, "Well, you think you're getting traded? You gonna try to get some of those out?" I'm like, "Hey, I'm trying to learn about hitting, man." And you're like, "What? Minute, we seen you swing." I'm like, "No, no, no, not in that aspect of getting hit. I'm trying to figure out, you know, in situations where you guys are looking forward to uh, game on the line when you know the guy trying to hit behind the runner, things like that." 
And I'm telling you that really, I used to go every day. I'd go to the Hills meeting with them and they were like, and then you see a few more pictures start coming in and then they start having like, okay, we're going to have a team meeting when we start going over hitting, but they still had their own little private meeting as hitters, but they used to have these meetings now where, you know, if, if anybody as a, as a pitcher wanted to come in and to the hitters meeting, you could come in there. And that was one thing I look at that and doing batting practice for the other team. I'd always sit on the bench and watch those guys work on the shortcomings because you know those things that you were trying to work on as a hitter, you was working on that in bad practice. And I was like, that extra guy off the bench, I want to see those guys that I'm going to be facing, not going to be starting because they had the pinch hitting thing there. And it would always be those guys that I would face. So I would look at those extra men. That's smart. And and sitting in on those in those meetings, it is. It can be educational. Just oh, my like, God, yes. You know, yes, uh, yeah. A, a, a position player picking the brain of a starting pitching pitcher or yeah. or a relief pitcher and just going in this situation what are you thinking if if he did this to you what are you doing to, you know just the back and forth and the and the cat and mouse mm-hmm. that goes on that game inside the game i think it's so interesting and and really smart yeah. i mean find out what those guys like you said you 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 looked at those 3 4 and 5 hitters those were the guys that usually did the damage in the lineup now Pick the yep. guys on my team and go, okay, I want to talk to my three, four, five hitters. Go, what are you thinking if yep. I'm facing you in this situation? And and you can exchange yep. information. But then when, when you get traded, you got to erase all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? If a guy that you you face and he don't adjust, you ain't going to see him very long. You ain't going to see him very many times. If there's a guy out there that don't adjust, you ain't going to be around very long. But – you have to be able to adjust to get better of whatever your shortcomings might be. Or you got to strengthen what you do, you know, what you do good. And But I always hear these guys, hey, man, this guy's a great fastball hitter. I'm like, who's not? How do you get to play baseball if you can't hit the fastball? But I can take my fastball and make three or four pitches out of it. You know, if you make those quality pitches, you know, the thing's going to fall into place for you. But um, I think now they give the kids a little too much to think about. Uh, before they go up to hit. And I think so many guys is launch angle and exit velocity. Ah, you know what? It helps a lot, but as a player, you got to be able to decipher what you can use is going to work for you and what's not. I talk about this a lot with the young young players. It's the technology and the data and, and the exit velocity, you know, just as an example. These are all great things. These are all things that are, are transcending the game. At the same time, too much information in the wrong hands can be, can <laughs> oh be God, detrimental. Yeah. Can be detrimental, yeah. you know, too much. I mean, yeah. usually – for us hitters, the the least amount of stuff we go we've got going on between our ears when we're walking the home plate, the better, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, yep. it, it, but I, I I think you're right. I think it can be overwhelming. And and uh-huh. when push comes yeah. to shove, I, I I think the best thing is to simplify, simplify, simplify as much as you can. Yeah. All right, eighty two. Yeah, uh, right, you man. went back. You st- what was that again? No, 82, you started the five games, you got back in your role. 1983, uh, you're an all-star for the first time. You lead the league in saves with 29. You had a one six five, I believe that was the best ERA of your career. Uh, tell me about that first, that first all-star game. Um, was it special for you? I know my first one was, was pretty darn special. No, man, they gave me 50 bucks for travel. I, uh, the all-star game was at the White Sox. <laughs> no, no, it was it was, unbe- it was unbelievable, man. I still have those pictures of the starting rotation and of the starting lineup, and I always give Johnny Bench a hard time. He wanted to move because they had him right beside me, and uh, he didn't want to stand beside me because Johnny is about five eleven. <laughs> <laughs> standing on yep. a big rock, and he didn't want to stand beside me. <laughs> and and I see those pictures, of those guys. I mean, I'm see those just looking at like, man. Now, if you just look at that that um, guy that's standing out there for that All Star game and see how many guys are Hall of Famers, it's unbelievable, man. But myself and Leon Durham got to play in front of the home crowd. We didn't fare too well as All Star for the National League. I think the National League man had won about 13 years straight, and we get in there, we get beat down. <laughs> But it, it was a good feeling, especially with the uh, home, home field fans there. 84, uh, 33 saves, 37, 31. You get to 1987. You're an all-star for the second time. 
Uh, I believe he had 36 saves that year. And, and that comes kind of at the end of your tenure in Chicago. I want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit. I know what it's like as a hitter. And, you know, there, it, <clears throat> for the guys out there that have never played at Wrigley, you know, so, depending on the day you're watching, and this is before – this is before they had the lights. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of guys will just watch Wrigley field, you know, and it depends what day it is. If it's blown out or it's blown in, I know as a hitter, if it's blown out, a pop-up's going to fly out of there, but I know when it's blowing in, you got to hit it twice. So as a pitcher in that Wrigley environment, and I, I said for a long time, and I was really impressed when the Cubs uh, won the world series a few years back. Cause I always thought, because of Wrigley Field, because of the the day games and, and the excessive day games, you play so much more than other ball clubs. You know, as big league players, 162 games, that's a lot of games. We go every day, but we have a routine. You know, we kind of know that once mm-hmm. a week we're going to have a day game and the rest of the time, 7 o'clock start, except if you're a Cub in the 80s, you're playing every time you're at home, it's a day game because you don't have an option. How was that for you? Did you enjoy that or or did you find it to be a challenge? I really, really enjoyed it myself because as a pitcher, now as an everyday player, it was tough. I could understand those guys having problems with that. But, you know, uh, as a hitter, at night game, you don't see all those different colors, you know, in the outfield and the background. And I didn't realize that until we were going the road and you, the guys start talking about that in those hitters meetings. Because you can see guys out there with, you know, red, white, blue, green, whatever color shirts they got on in the background out there. But at night, night game, you don't see that. And the toughest thing, they started trying to give us a little rest and play the 305 starts. That was, that was even worse because uh, when I came in, seven, eight, nine, ten, nobody could see anything. And, and half of those games got canceled and, you know, had to play them out the next day. But I think uh, for a family, you know, a family guy, it was great, you know. But for starting uh, everyday players, it was really, really tough, man, because it, no sooner you get home and if you had a bad day, you're trying to think about things, you work on something after the game, the traffic would trade crazy trying to get home, and then, boom, you got to get up and go back and do it all over again the next day. And then once you get adjusted to home, you go on the road. And you're still getting up every morning at 10 o'clock, you know, but it's tough. But the lights with, with the uh, um, now, I think, is a good thing for some of the kids who get to play night games, you know, and maybe get a little rest. But the routine back in the 80s, it, it was tough. But I think it was tougher on, uh, on the visiting team because uh, Chicago was the place to party. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> um, yeah. You're off to Boston for a couple years, and, and then you're, yep. you go to St. Louis and uh, – Interesting. And, and this starts kind of a big part of your career. Some, some of your best seasons are coming up and your Rolades uh, awards. But you played for Joe Torrey. And, and I laugh when I saw that. I'm like, oh, I want to talk to him about Joe before he was Joe. You know, Joe, when he was the St. Louis Cardinal manager, was like that, that batting champ. He was that cool guy. He wasn't known yeah. as the Joe Torrey we know today. <laughs> and, uh, you oh, know, yeah. winning the four and five rings. I mean, there were some lean times for him in St. Louis, you had some great years. You're an all-star in, in 91, 92, 93. You got 47 saves, 43, led the league both years, and then 46 in 93. You won the Rolades in 91 and 92. Tell me about those years in St. Louis. Great baseball city. You're coming from Wrigley, one of the one of the meccas of, of Major League Baseball. Now you're coming to St. Louis, and as everybody knows, one of the one of the biggest fan bases where, where people in St. Louis just really love the Cardinals. Huge legacy, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, huge history. Um, what were those years like for you in St. Louis? And I want to hear about Joe Torre before he's Joe Torre. Oh, God, it was awesome, man. Uh, you know, you get, I left uh, Chicago struggling, hadn't got an opportunity to go to a World Series, and I went to Boston, same thing. You know, and you go to St. Louis, and everybody's like laid back, sort of like Lee Smith. That was like, you know, my personality, that city of, of St. Louis. And, you know, the fans, you know, was really not saying the other fans didn't understand the game, but you would, you would see, you know, the guys like managing out there in the bullpen, you know, uh, and things like that. But, Go there, and uh, we had a really good ball club, but it was always something about the Mets and the Montreal Expos. You know, those guys had a hell of a ball clubs, and we never got an opportunity to get into the playoffs. But I personally had a good season, and, and to go there with 
William McGee and, and Ozzie and Joe. Joe was definitely one of my favorite managers that I ever played for. You know, he he was just like sort of laid back. You know, then you know he was he was just like okay, here's the ball. He wouldn't say anything. He give me the ball and let's leave. You know, <laughs> you know I'm like okay, uh, is he pissed or what? You know, but he was a great dude. He he would he would go. He treated everybody the same. It wasn't like. If you if you a rookie, you, you you get treated different than a guy that's a veteran. He treats everybody the same, and he expected you to go out there and be an athlete and and a professional. And that was one thing that I respected that Joe gave us all that opportunity to play play the game and have fun. Brief stop at ninety three, Buck Showalter, but ninety four. Uh, you're an all-star again, 33 saves for the Baltimore Orioles. You're quick stop there. You only go there for one year. You win the Rollates. Um, and then you're off to California where you're an all-star again, 37 saves. And then my favorite time with Lee, he comes over to Cincinnati during the 96 <laughs> season. And uh, I get to hang out. It was, it was short lived. We didn't do much. We didn't get to go to the playoffs, but, but uh, I, I really wanted to get into it with you. The, the sleeping routine. So tell people out there what you did. Why, why do I always remember Lee Smith in the training room, lights out, taking a nap mid-game? Man, you know what, dude? It, it, it started actually in, in Chicago. and But Chicago was a little tough because that the uh, clubhouse is down the left field line. So I had it made. I took a nap in the umpire's room right behind the dugout. So I was in there, you know, making sure the umpires were taken care of. <laughs> but it was just relaxing, man, to, you know, to go out there and just, you know, if you could step away from the game just a little bit, you know, and try to relax and get what I have to do. Because now I think so many guys go out and think, I got to do this. I got to get a hit. I got to get this guy out. Go out there and have fun. And I, Fergie Jenkins again, he said, hey, man, you don't have to get these guys out. I'm like, oh, what do you mean, man? He said, you make a pitch, expand the zone, let them get the stuff out. I'm like, what? You know, but it made sense if you th- if you just really think about it. You make, you know, you can you on that corner, you 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 can expand the zone a little bit, but just to be able to relax and you know how much pressure it is to get up there with the game on the line and use it in the middle of that line if you know what I'm talking about. But and you struggle one day, you go back out, that same situation is going to be there because I trust me, the ball is going to find you. If you go out there, you can't hide from the baseball. It's going to find you when you go out there, man. But being ready and prepared, and when you can do – you can go home at night and put your head on the pillow and say, hey, man, I gave it my best, and not second-guess yourself, which you know it was so well and easy to do. You can be, you, you can say, hey, I, I did my best, and that's, the, that's all you can ask of yourself. And I think you're right, though. I mean, the ability for you to take a nap before you got to go to work hmm. – uh, I think really can relax your brain instead of, you know, who knows yeah. how you, maybe you're not pitching well it, it, during a, a certain streak and you're thinking, all right, everything's running through your mind. You're watching the game. You're watching the game going, all right, if I get the ball here, it could here are the scenarios that could come up once again, unlike a hit or just like a hitter. The, sometimes the worst thing is too much, too much going on in our brain and the ability yeah. for you to mm-hmm. slow it down and take a nap. I, I think it's awesome. How about this? You started in Chicago. You ever oversleep? You ever have that no. moment, you know, where the, where the alarm clock didn't go off, but you wake up well, and you the, got that that 30 seconds of absolute panic? Did that ever happen? Did, uh, you, did you ever have a scare? Oh, I had a few. Uh, the, the, the best one is gonna, was, was, like, really tomorrow, the Boston Marathon. I went to, I went to uh, Boston. I had no idea what was going on in Boston Marathon. I'm, like, hanging out at home. I look up, and Bruce Hurst is pitching. I'm like, Hey man, this didn't happen yesterday. Roger pitched yesterday, <laughs> and, it's, and the streets, dude, the streets are closed. You can't even get to the ballpark. So uh, I'm driving down one way streets, and then I end up park at the emergency room at the hospital and like walk through the Boston Marathon to get to Fenway. All the daggum streets were closed, man, <laughs> and that was probably the worst ever. And I get to the ballpark like sixth inning, and a good old buddy of mine, Bill Fisher, um was our pitching coach there. And he asked me, God, Smitty, where you been? I'm like, oh, man, I was in the weight room. He's like, you're right. <laughs> I put on the unit. I was not in that ballpark 45 minutes. I'm in the game. But that was probably that was probably the toughest one right there in Boston. But I, I had a couple more. Uh, the Baltimore, you remember that 12 o'clock Wednesday game, uh, the businessman special? Yes, I do. Dude, we had I was on the Lock Raven Reservoir fishing about one o'clock 
Johnny Oates' manager, and they called and all over the place. They didn't have no cell phones. They didn't call my mom. Everybody looking for me. And there's an old fellow out there fishing, and he says to me, hey, you sure look like that boy that pitched for the Orioles. I'm like, yeah, man. Well, don't you guys have a game today? And I'm like, uh, no, nah, 7 o'clock, man. He said, I could swore y'all was playing at noon. I'm like, uh, uh, what's the day? He said, Wednesday. I'm like, oops. I was like, man, I look at my wallet. Boom, get the schedule out. Oh, 12 5 start. It's like 140. I'm still fishing. Oh, man, I, I get to the ballpark. Johnny, everybody's thinking something that happened to me, man. <laughs> they found out Smitty was out fishing. I'm like, so every day they start putting my name on the board. Uh, what time to, uh, to be uh, batting practice? So I would make sure I checked the board. Yeah, that, 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 that one in the Boston Marathon got me. Isn't that funny, though? You were thinking <laughs> that Boston Marathon's going on. You said you parked across the street, walked to Fenway, and you're just going to try to slide in like, no, I was in the weight room. Yeah. Every yeah. single person knows. <laughs> you know you know, about two an hour and a half before the game, everybody's there. And, and so all uh, of a sudden, yeah. people are looking around. Hey, anybody seen Smitty? No, I haven't seen oh, him. Yeah. Well, uh, you might want to call him. And, and then but to you think that you could just pop in and pretend you were there all along. <laughs> they were checking all the cracks and crevices in Fenway, man. Thought I was somewhere laid up sleep, though. They thought I was there. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, St. Louis, I used to actually go down in the ground, cruise vehicles, and take a nap. Because uh, this boy, Tom Pagnazzi, had it bad about setting my shoestrings on fire when I was asleep. Uh, hot foot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I imagine you did a few in your day. I did a few. 1997, <laughs> your final year, you go to Montreal. That's a little bit different. That's a little bit different playing yeah. in Montreal. How was that compared to your other? Did you end up enjoying it, or or was it kind of, I don't know. I don't know. That last year was, we retire it, after. Who knows? It had a, it had enjoyment. I got to play for Philippe Ballou. I had never always played against him, like starting from my rookie year in Florida. But one of the things I look back on uh, is Pedro Guerrero, Pedro, <laughs> Pedro Martinez, excuse me, was – he was struggling a little bit because he was sort of getting a reputation of being a headhunter, you know, because he, he had this, he had this ball he would throw and that thing would run up and in on right. And he was struggling and he was, he was like, he was actually contemplating quitting because he had hit a couple of guys and, and he was upset and he's sitting on the bench after a game. And, um, and I'm like, Hey Pete, what's up? And, and he's like, Oh man, I'm not struggling. Maybe I'm struggling. You know? And I'm like, Hey, Pedro, Tell you what, if these guys are quick enough to hit that ball and you leave it over the plate, they ought to be quick enough to get out of the way. And you look at me, he's like, What? I'm like, Well, my point being is you got to start it just a little bit outside. That ball's going to run back in and let it work for you. And he started, man, hitting that in outside corner. That thing was running in off the plate. And it's actually his changeup actually got it picked up a little more movement. And I got a chance to see Vladimir Guerrero, his rookie year, senior. I'll tell you uh, what. That, I was, that was great to see. That was great to I, see. I remember coming into Montreal in that dome around around his rookie year, 97, 98. And you remember this because you, you were in BP with him every day. How loud was it coming off his bat? It was different. Oh. Everybody else would hit, and I'd say, that's that new kid. That's Vladimir Guerrero, oh. and he's got no batting gloves. He's just long and lanky, and I mean – coming unglued from pitch one yes. in batting practice. Hey, I'm going to tell you something, man. I got five saves that year. And every one of those games, I was going in there to get an inning of work, and this fella <laughs> goes deep. I was like, I kind of like, how is this? It seemed like I, he must be my good luck charm. I come in there, man. Boom. Okay, Smith, you're in, the, you're in the game to get some work today. We're down by two. What? Home run. I was like, okay, I'm in the game, man. It was awesome. But we had some good players on that ball club, man. Rondell uh, White. Omar Dahl there, yeah. Uh, um, the one guy that Grislanik and all those guys, uh, yep. Rondell White, man, Henry Rodriguez, all those guys there, man. And, and the one fellow we had was David Segee, but he was hurt a lot. Good player, you know. But um, I, I think the, the pitching – uh, Urbina, all those guys like that was like they had unreal talent. The young uh, Latin kids on the ball club. And you had your moment with Pedro. You had your Fergie Jenkins moment with Pedro, yeah, but yeah. you were you were playing the role of Fergie Jenkins. 
Uh, yeah, every time I think about, you know, Pedro and guys like that, I uh, had Alan Mills in Baltimore, Arthur Rose, those guys like that. I always had that Fergie Jesus in the back. Hey, I want to give back. That's the one thing. But at the end, you know, guys don't talk to each other. They they wait for you. The, the kids would like, you know, with me, I went to Fergie, you know, and was asking him about things. But the, the kids now, they, they wait till they struggle before they come ask a question. You know, I'm like, hey, it's a little late now. You know, if you wanted to know something, you'd <laughs> I could have helped you a week ago, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Urbina, Urbina, man, he was he was a prime example, man. He, I, I remember a game we played fourteen innings in in St. Louis, and he he this guy throws ninety seven hundred. He comes in, Willie McGee been sitting on the bench for about forty five minutes, and he comes in first pitch change up home run. I'm like, dude, you throw ninety seven, you throw your first pitch change up to Willie. That guy right there swings at everything. You know, throw two over his head, and he still might swing it, but he can hit. I'm like, you don't want to throw a change up first pitch. But he asked me about what I think. I'm like, it's too late, now the game's over. But I, I always would grab him the day before and go over to extra guys, and I'd get him on the bench and uh, doing bad practice and talk to him about it. He had unbelievable stuff. I remember him well. Fastball changeup, yeah. and it was a nasty yeah. changeup. It, it was close ooh, to, ooh. It, it was as close to Trevor's as you know, because he was a late inning yeah. relief guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was close, yeah. close yeah. to Hoffie's. I, I still nothing was really like Hoffie's because it was so oh. slow. But Urbina's was was damn good. Man, yeah, after, yes. yeah. After that '97 season, you retire. You finish with a three Ernie and 478 saves. Um, what a career. WBC, and this was this was interesting to me, uh, WBC in 06 and 09, and you were the pitching coach for the South African National Baseball Team. <laughs> I, I saw that, and I'm like, wait a minute. Lee, Lee Smith, okay, WBC 06, 09. I figured you were, you were uh, coaching for, for USA, but no. How was that experience for you, the WBC? Hey, man, it was awesome. It was awesome. You know what? Everybody's uh, asking me, Smitty, how'd you get that job? I'm like, hey, man, I talked to everybody. I don't know. But I go down to, to Cape Town. I'm the only black guy on the team, Booney. My whole damn team is blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was fun. I, I tell you what, it, it went back to uh, coaching uh, Little League. Cause those guys, rugby and soccer was the, you know, was the, was the sport there, man. And, and uh, teaching the guys how to play. But the one thing is they have fun. They have fun, man. We, we actually, we actually won a couple of games, you know, uh, in the, 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 um, preliminaries and things like that. But the, the first game, I remember, uh, the only thing I had to do was keep my guys from asking the other team for autographs. Cause when we played the USA club, they had Roger Penn in the corner for an autograph session. <laughs> I'm like, Hey man, that's the enemy over there. But they had fun. That's what really – that was awesome. It's a beautiful country. You also uh, – and you did it for a while. You were the, you, you did yeah, uh, yeah. roving pitching coach for the Giants. How would you like that? I did it a couple years. I was a rover uh, with the A's in, in, I think, 14 and 15. Really enjoyed my time. I really liked working with the young kids. You know, get them when they're in A ball and, and they'll actually listen to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, yep. was, it was a pretty – a pretty cool experience for me. I ended up with my kids. I, it was too much time away and I wanted to see my son play, you know, his, his varsity yeah. high school years, but I really enjoyed those two years. How was that for you uh, going around? Do you, do you enjoy it? Boney, that was the best, best job ever, man. Uh, Cause I, I, I was glad to do it because I could pick where I wanted to go. And I told uh, uh, Boach, I said, Hey Boach, I only want to do double A and lower. That's the guys. That's the kids I wanted to work with. He's like, "Well, Smitty, we want you to come to big league camp." I'm like, no, no, leave me down with the rookies. That's the guys I want to work with and see them. You know, the the best thing in the world is to see those guys. Something that you help them with and see them go out there and use it and see that look on their face, man. Like Smitty, it actually works. I'm like, yeah, it really. <laughs> but just to see that talent and see when they their game evolve and they sort of learning their bodies and what they can do. And the toughest thing was seeing some guys that I knew was in the starting rotation that were relief pitchers and to tell them, hey, this is what we got to do with these guys. And that was really a good thing to give something back like that. It is cool. You're right. I mean – Yeah, great, great organization, had, I, Giants. I had more fun working with those A-ball guys and, and just, yeah, yeah. you know, thinking, I, I want to give these guys something when I was 20, 21 years old that I didn't have. 
and maybe they'll listen, yeah. maybe they won't. But uh, when they did and you saw it work, it's almost like you became a part of them. Like, all right, come on. And you're cheering, you're cheering for them, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of their at-bats yeah. were, were tougher than any at-bats you ever had. You wanted to, play. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to see them succeed. Pretty, pretty yeah. awesome. But every time right. I would go to those cities and they would see me like, oh, all right, Smith is holding court, court in the right field corner again. You know, that was, that was really great. I loved it. All right, now we get to it. We get to it. Finally happened for you. I, w- I was pumped up when I saw it. I'm like, finally got in. Uh, but, man, what a process for you. And uh, the, the Hall of Fame, the voting, the year after year after year. Um, you end up getting in in 19. How was – take me through the process for you from beginning to end by that, by that 15th ballot. And, and you've been – you hadn't got the call 14 in a row in that 15th ballot. At that point, are you just kind of kind of over it at that point? It's never going to happen. What, what's what's going through through the mind of Lee Smith? Well, you know, the, the tough thing was as a, as a player, and at the end of your career, you're, oh, first ballot Hall of Famer, and then, you, and then you get out, and you could like 29% of the votes, and then you get 50% the next year, and it depends who's on the ballot. And I'm like, you know what? I think it's going to happen. I just don't. I, I don't think it's going to be this year. And then you see a couple of years, no one goes in, and you start thinking, well, what are they doing? Who's voting? And then when they came up with the uh, the era of like the '80s, where they said, okay, Smitty, you dominated in this these years, and see the guys who got to vote. Well, the guys that I faced. Uh, the general managers, you know, uh, you know, all those guys, Joe Torre, uh, uh, La Russa, all of those guys there yeah, would get the vote that seen you play. But I was like, why does it have to be someone that's seen you play? Could, why wasn't it your stats not good enough? Uh, I was like 16 years of the all-time save leader. And I'm like, but I didn't want to stop tooting on my own horn in the paper and all that kind of good stuff. And then Goose Goss that gave me, one of the best thing advice I think I could ever he ever he could ever get. He said, Smitty, it's gonna happen, he said, but well late than ever, but it's sweet. It's gonna be sweet when it happens because he was there for a while also. And when it finally I finally got the call and it was it was unbelievable and I think one of my good old buddies, uh, Harold Bain made it too. That really made it sweet for me. You know, and, and I was thinking about it too, because a couple of buddies of mine, uh you know, close friends of mine, Edgar Martinez and Trevor Hoffman. Yeah, they both yeah. got in, but but yeah. it took a while for them to get in. And yeah. my first thought process is if they didn't have those magical over-the-top numbers, you know, Edgar is one yeah. of the greatest right-handed hitters of, of my generation. No kidding. Yeah. But, yeah. But it took but him, took him too, a while. You know, and, yeah. And, and I just thought, well, is it because the taboo, it's, it's the DH, it's the closer – because when yep. you first came in a game, you kind of were at the beginning of, of really when you were named a closer. And and, yeah. and now yeah. that that's kind of been, you know, with guys like you and Mariano and Trevor, that's kind of been uh, that glass ceiling's been broken now. So so I think going yeah. forward, the way the game is now, you're going to see the great closers get in. But after all those years, didn't get in, you finally get that call. And, and I don't know if I'm wrong on this, but – you were kind of voted on by, by like you mentioned, by the Tory, by your peers, the guys that saw you in your heyday. I don't think it matters either way. Once you're in the hall, you're in the hall. How was that phone call yeah. for you when finally you got in? Man, if you can believe it, Smith, it was speechless. <laughs> I, 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 I can't believe that. Like, I, I can't believe him, it. I was like, hey, get me the earliest flight you can. I'm out of here, man. And it was, it was, it was awesome. But you know what, they they was like, you know, I was just thinking about the rest of the guys like Moose and like I said, Harold and, and the other guys. I'm like, do I call them? Are we going to see each other in a little bit? Oh, what's going on, you know? But you know what, man, just all the year you think of playing stickball in the streets, uh, throwing against the wall, and you never think, hey, I want to be a Hall of Famer. You just want to make a good player and be a, be a good impact player. And I said, oh, mostly what I wanted was to be a high school basketball coach and a country boy with a, from a hometown that still don't have a red light to be a Hall of Famer is unbelievable. But it still, it really, really hadn't sunk in all the way yet. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. How do you want to be yeah. remembered? All said and done. I like that. Uh, 
I like that taking my time to the mound. I like that, you know, relaxing and getting it right that first time. But being able to give something back to the kids, that's the one thing that really I think they don't show in baseball as much as they do like with other sports, you know. Uh, you know, in basketball, you see the guys going, you know, to the shelters for Thanksgiving and things like that. And they don't – all of that baseball does, you don't see that a whole lot. And I think that's sort of underrated for what the, what uh, Major League Baseball does. But for me, just, you know, just be uh, one of the best that's played the game. Very cool. Lee Smith, it's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun catching up. It's been a while. Oh, uh, stay in touch. What a great career. And, and I really appreciate so much you coming on the Boone Podcast. As we do each and every time at the end of the Boone Podcast, we bring back the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Dan? Gentlemen. Hello. I got a question for you, Mr. Smith, and it comes from Jeff in Arlington Heights, and he wants to know, which team did you prefer playing for, the Cardinals or the Cubs? I like them both, man. I ain't getting myself in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Smart man right there. Was there, what what were the plus and, what are the plus and minuses to both? (laughs) Um, Hey, I'm going to tell you what, man, in the big leagues, it don't matter where you are. Don't matter where you are. I appreciate it. Lee Smith, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the yeah. program. Uh, you are very welcome. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe never miss an episode and while you're at it give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the moon podcast he is brett boone you can find him on social media at the moon 29 i'm dan levy bass on air that is base on air all of my social medias thanks for listening we'll do it again soon have a great one